Hello and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Brown, and thank you so much for joining me, whether this is your first episode tuning in or you've been with me for a while. 2024 is the five-year anniversary of this podcast series. So thanks for being here as we continue to explore the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and generally the use of sound for health and wellness. Today, our guest is Sarah Ouster, a sound therapist, meditation teacher, and author. Her mission really has been to introduce sound baths to diverse audiences and to make them accessible to people across the globe. We take time to explore her path to this work, those things that were really transformational in her life, as well as the limitless possibilities you'll hear about so many opportunities she's had, things she's pursued, working with organizations all the way up to Apple, Google, American Express, right, corporate corporations that she's worked with, as well as uh, partnering with the World Health Organization and starting to bring more of this work into global health and the future of uh, global health. And we also talk about her book, her education program, and actually education and training in general when it comes to sound healing. We have an interesting discussion about that. I also want to mention that Sarah is going to be a part of the ISTA conference in September later this year. That is the International Sound Therapy Association Wavemakers Conference. That's September 20th through 22nd in Sarasota, Florida. This is going to be a three-day conference with leading edge presenters, educators, vendors, and performers. And Sarah will be there as will I. So really looking forward to that. I'll have a link to that conference if you're curious about it. It is istasounds.org. I'll put that in the description of this podcast. I also want to thank the Ohm Shop and Spa for their sponsorship of this podcast. The Ohm Shop is located in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, you can also find them online at theohmshop.com. They can really help you if you are trying to up-level your sound healing practice. They have amazing instruments, custom instruments, and they can really just help you if you're looking for something specific. They also have trainings, online resources, and if you're able to get there in person, they have a luxury spa as well. So thank you so much to the Ohm Shop for their sponsorship. Thank you all for tuning in, and please enjoy this episode with Sarah Ouster. All right. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here. It's a blessing to have you. Yes, thank you for having me, Natalie. Absolutely. I thought it would be great to lay the foundation a little bit before we get to the work that you do now. And I'm curious, you know, how musical you were as a child, just a little bit about your music and art uh, background as a youngster, if you want to share that. It's really such a great question, because when people ask me, how long have you been doing this? 
uh, quote, <laughs> I often answer my, you know, my whole life, where, where, where should we begin? So I appreciate the question and music in general has played a very important role in my life for as long as I can remember. Uh, music was always playing in my house as a child. Uh, my parents both sing, uh, me and my sisters would always sing into hairbrushes, make up dance routines and, and that type of thing. Um, I played a few different instruments uh, as a child and I sang in, in choir, acted in plays and all the things that a young creative artist does. And one of the earliest memories that I can connect back to the significance of music and sounds as a child is when my oldest sister became ill and non-communicative. And we would, I was seven at the time, and my family and I would use music, her favorite cassette tapes and songs as a way to connect with her, put, put headphones on her, um seek to find a, a shift in facial expression a, a glimmer in the eyes but it was also a way that my family and i connected uh around the the challenge of of having a, an ill dying uh person in the family um and so it was a really significant aspect of my childhood Right, so you were already figuring out how to create new sounds early on, right? It wasn't like um, you had this whole career before. I mean, it's always been a part of what you've been doing, right? Yeah. Sure. I mean, I, I even remember I spent a lot of time in hospitals as a young child between the ages of seven and 10 as a, as a visitor. Um, so adapting to those uh, uncomfortable sounds that hospitals have of the the beeps and blips and alarms going off and I would often kind of make songs to go along with them with with the rhythm of the heart monitors and <laughs> uh, uh, respirator machines and things like that so it's a very strong memory for me yeah yeah you use what you have right you use what's around you and Everything is music if you're just paying attention. So yeah, you can lean into it. Yeah. So, okay. So yeah, that's a bit about your childhood. And um, I, I know there's more there that led you to do this work. So how about for like you personally, right? Not just in your family, but what do you think really led you personally to need this work, the therapeutic use of sound and other modalities, what was it for you that was the next step? Right, well, the, the next step after my sister passed away, when she was 16 and I was 10, I started to use creativity, art, and music as a form of expression to move through that loss and grief. Um, and so it became a really significant outlet for me as a musician, as a singer, as a visual artist. And I was just fascinated in a very curious way about what happened to her and about bodies in general. And so my artwork 
became mixed media. I, I started to do installations that involved a lot of anatomical, biological imagery, scans, x-rays, and things like that, um, as well as sound and scent as well. I, I really had a desire to create uh, before this was a catchphrase, immersive experiences uh, for people to walk in and have a multi-sensory, uh, you, you know, experience that could connect them to a memory. I was very interested in grief and loss as a subject matter in my artwork. And so I was working as a professional artist in New York City at 23 and one night uh, I heard a loud banging sound, which I thought was some crazy actors and musicians in the floor below, uh, but it turns out to be the floor breaking underneath me. Um, and I fell 15 feet from my studio, from my art studio into the first floor onto, and maybe this is poetic now in some way, onto a stage. Um, <laughs> Yeah, with the floor and all of my artwork and, and everything. Um, and that fall left me with a, a broken back um, and temporary paralysis. And it, it was a really important moment in my journey to <laughs> this place that we're at right now. It's because I started to explore my own body, my relationship to my own physical pain, emotional trauma and pain. Um, and it was through that exploration that I discovered meditation and alternative complementary practices, which about 22 years ago wasn't as mainstream, I'm sure you know, as it is now. Um, yeah, and that sort of led me down this path. Yeah, I'm sure you're skipping so much of the recovery physically, emotionally, mentally from that was ongoing for a long time, I'm sure. And um, but obviously a pivotal time in your life, right? When we look back on those things, it's like, wow, I, you know, I was able to access and choose to find these other modalities when maybe the doctors weren't necessarily giving us those options, like you sought those out. And so that's really important that you were able to to find and access those yeah and in the i think generally in the retelling of these types of stories you you lose all of the setback moments and the struggles you know it's not as if a singing bowl fell on my head and i suddenly didn't experience pain and uh you know the emotional trauma that comes with an accident like that so it was certainly um a, a long winding road and and journey to yeah find what was working for me personally so um so we don't skip any steps because you know we do have a lot of listeners that are sound healing practitioners right and they can read all about and hear all about what you're doing now which is amazing opportunities um, all over the world for, you know, organizations and just some really fascinating stuff that you've done. Um, but we don't just take that step and get there. So how, you know, can you kind of explore and describe a little bit, 
you know, what were your first sound baths? Like, how did you, how did you walk into this really? And, and then professionally? Um, first of all, hello, fellow sound people. And thank you for listening or sound family. Cause I feel like in a lot of ways, we, uh, we, we have a, a mutual understanding. Um, you know, so let, let's see, trace back to, you know, about 20 years ago when I was exploring even as simple as acupuncture, chiropractic, um, th things like that weren't so readily available even in New York City. Uh, and so the, my first experience of sound was extremely frustrating and uncomfortable. Um, and I didn't go to experience sound. It was a, it was a gong being played during a yoga class. And I understood as a musician, what was, and as a, at the time I was teaching yoga already and teaching meditation. So that was a whole other, you know, trajectory. So I had been, already been teaching yoga and meditation. I went to this yoga class, not marketed or sold as a sound bath or anything. Uh, and then heard these sounds throughout the practice. And I said, okay, I understand the sound as accompaniment in the yoga class, because I understand that a yoga class has an arc uh, to it and music or sound could be helpful. But I also felt that maybe the practitioner who was playing the sound maybe didn't have an understanding of that arc and was simply making sound without a sensitivity to what the teacher was teaching or what they were instructing in the body. And so, and that I had a like sort of an aha moment to say, mm, this is, this is something actually, I think I might be able to do better. Um, and so I started to explore, uh, went down a, a rabbit hole. Um, I studied uh, at the Open Center uh, many, many different kinds of workshops and weekends until I finally did the, um, the, so the certificate program, which I eventually became a faculty member um, for the Sound and Music Institute program. And I just slowly started to integrate sound into what I was teaching as a yoga meditation teacher. And at the time I had a, a, a pretty, um, pretty large private practice. Uh, and I, I specialized in people with um, physical limitations, uh, people with injuries, uh, concerns, uh, I taught chair yoga, people like recovering from uh, joint replacement surgeries and things like that. And I had a real sensitivity to people experiencing pain who wanted to step into yoga and meditation. So slowly I started to integrate sound and what I was learning with sound. And over time, my students and group classes, my clients one-on-one -on -one sessions were asking for more sound. And so... <laughs> <laughs> okay, more sound, more sound, more sound. And, you know, with my personal journey um, into those worlds, I definitely was a, a, a skeptic, kind of an eye roller, prove it to me, what is this woo-woo stuff? 
as a native New Yorker. I just have been born with that, I think. And so um, I felt that the work was powerful and I didn't see it being presented in a way that was accessible to somebody who maybe felt like me. Yoga, meditation, especially sound healing. Um, and so at the time, there weren't, there were definitely a hand, a handful of people only offering sound, sound baths that I knew of in New York city. Um, and I felt as I started to offer them in the yoga studio where I was teaching that there was still a barrier for entry that people would say to me, oh, 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 it's at Vera Yoga. I, I don't I don't do yoga, so I can't come. And I would say, no, 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 you just come and lay down. And so I started to seek out other venues to offer sound experiences um, because I wanted people um, of a broader audience and background and level of ability to to be able to access these experiences. Well, what if I can't lay on the floor? Okay, well, now we have to have chair options and things like that. So that really the the that limitation of kind of just speaking to the community that was already on board or preaching to the choir or, you know, whatever, um, really motivated me to try and find other audiences and other venues. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing kind of uh, looking into some of the, the venues or, you know, organizations that you've, you've worked with um, and it would take us hours to go through all those that you have. And some of the coll collaborations are really fascinating, like with the Philharmonic and things like that. Um, can you give us just a few highlights of maybe the most unique, um, maybe non-yoga studio, right? We've kind of said that that's a general way that people get into this. Maybe let's go a little different direction and um, some highlights of when you kind of think back, like, wow, that was different. And that'll kind of give people a range of possibilities in this work. Maybe just a few highlights that were really different and significant. It was good timing of your question as the sirens went by uh, <laughs> in New York. Um, yeah, you mentioned the New York Philharmonic. That was a really beautiful collaboration. I did a series with the New York Philharmonic where um, we, got to design a, a program together, a series of programming to introduce mindfulness meditation to the New York Phil uh, audience and community. And I had the honor and privilege of collaborating with members of the orchestra. And possibly, you know, to, to many sound practitioners, it might seem obvious that sound has healing powers or therapeutic um, benefits, uh, but often classically trained musicians don't think about it like that. Um, and so a lot of these concepts that, that maybe seem, um, like I said, obvious to us, aren't so much to, yeah, a, 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 a classical violinist, for instance, and sort of their mind is blown to, to think like that, to think kind of outside the box, if you will. 
that was really beautiful. And, you know, another, hmm, I'm like trying to think what was, what was most recent, I guess. Um, I joined the faculty for the World Health Organization in Europe. Uh, they, for their very first time last year, they created a public health leadership course that included many hospital administrators, uh, doctors, scientists, um, epidemiologists from all over Europe to come together to you know work on leadership skills, communication, different ways of thinking and leading their teams. Uh, and I talked about sound therapy, the benefits of meditation, how to implement and integrate simple practices in their own life, as well as ways that they can lead those things for their for their team. Um, moments to pause, a simple breath, you know, really, really simplifying uh, the work in a way that can be, uh, you know, reproduced easily. And, and that's, that's really a goal of mine with this work in partnering, from, you know, luxury car companies, you wouldn't think, you know, but they have surround sound systems <laughs> and they're interested in having immersive sound experiences. Yeah, so I, I've partnered with um, Infinity and Lexus and Lincoln and I'm like Apple, um, you know, I've gone in and to do corporate uh, wellness programming for Microsoft and, and Google. Uh, yeah, you'd be surprised how many vice presidents and CEOs of companies are, are closeted <laughs> sound practitioners. Well, not so much anymore, you know. Um, uh, so, so, so yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a few. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I'm just curious your, your thoughts on, um, on what shifted or I just think, I feel like the integration, um, whether it's healthcare or corporations, I mean, has really increased. I mean, it's happening. Like there's an opening that's happened. I don't know. I mean, definitely the past five years, but maybe even 10, there's just been something shifted. I mean, you always are going to have skepticism and people that are, um, you know, uh, might not be so sure about that. Um, and, and everybody refers to things as, uh, being woo woo at first, right. We all know that, that expression. Um, but just in your, your experience, the more and more that you, you leaned into this work and, and your purpose, um, what, you know, why do you think this work is so needed right now, which is allowing this openness? Well, I could probably give you like an hour <laughs> answer to that question, but uh, let's see, where do we begin? So with uh, the increase in technology uh, became an, an increase in uh, information overload. 
I, I see that as kind of like the arc of how this happened. So, so people are receiving information at light speed through their devices, news, natural disasters, wars that are happening on the other side of the world, things that as civilizations, you know, even just 100 years ago, you know, took us some time for that news to get to us. Um, and so I think even just that alone, having to navigate um, emotionally through um, all, all of that that we're we're receiving is pretty overwhelming. Uh, so people are have a have a low grade level of stress and anxiety all the time uh, and don't know how to manage it. You know, enter the popularity of meditation uh, and all the big apps that that people like to use. Um, and, and then enter in the, the challenges of meditation. Um, I can't sit still, I can't sit up straight, I can't focus on my breath, it makes me stop breathing, all the things that I've heard, you know, over the years that are challenges for people with meditation. Um, and, and I see sound as a, a, a gentler way in to navigate and deal with the overwhelm of, of stress and anxiety. I mean, beyond, there, there, there is no separation of mind and body. And now that science and research is catching up to what people have known for what you and I, whatever everyone listening to now probably has known um, and what we have all known for thousands of years. Um, and that now, you know, we're using terms like neurobiology you know, to to not say the, the, what's going on in the minds is separate from the body. So yeah, I think that that's the entry point is um, is navigating the stress and stress as a number one cause of disease and dysfunction in the body. And that sound is is a is an easy access point for many many people. Right. And using that, that language, it's almost like if somebody asks you what, what, what is sound healing? Well, it depends who's asking, right? So if you're, you know, communicating with an organization or your heads of a business, um, you talk a lot about stress relief, <laughs> right? And relaxation. I mean, that's just, there's nothing woo woo about this. And, and so it's just finding the right ways to, to talk with people and offer this. Um, so great answer to a very broad question. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there, there are just different different ways. I think that you you hit the nail on the head and just knowing who you're speaking to. It's something that I've always been sensitive to as a teacher uh, and in my work and meeting people, you know, where they are. And, you know, going back to what was available when I was trying to explore sound experiences my, myself as a receiver of sound, you know, all I could really find anywhere were like three hour gong baths and, you know, things like that, that were to me feeling like super intense, not what I was ready for yet. And I, I wish, I wish there could be like half hour sound experience. I feel like that's enough sound. And so I started to offer those things. You know, I started to create five minute recordings because I felt like 
you know, a little bit goes a long way or less is more, you know, and I, I'm really interested in, in speaking with those people. And as they step into the door and, <laughs> you know, enter into the world of sound, then there's, there's a lot of different ways you can go with it. Yeah, so you you mentioned uh, as a teacher. So I, I was kind of curious. I know you mentioned you you've been fa faculty um, at the Open Center, but you have your own method. So um, I, I'd love to hear more about that, and also um, maybe the balance, the importance of training, but also trusting your own arts, your own intuition, your own intention. I mean, there's often discuss discussions about well, how many training certifications will get you to where you need to be with this. Um, and, you know, there can be um, trainings after training, certifications after certifications, but how much is that person, you know, really putting themselves into action and experience and offering? Because that's a, where a lot of the learning comes from too. So um, just kind of your thoughts on, on that, on education and training in this field, and a little bit about what your method offers. Yeah, sure. So <laughs> let's talk about certification first. Uh, you know, the the 200 hour, 500 hour thing certification in, in yoga, um, that's a Western construct. Um, generally, if somebody is becoming a teacher of yoga or meditation, they are a practitioner of those things until their teacher invites them up to the front of the class to guide something. This is how it works. Uh, and so, you know, I would always say practice makes practitioner. And if somebody sees some, you know, sexy pictures of bowls and says, you know, I want to quit my job and play those things for money, I don't think that person is going to get very far because where it starts is to explore your own relationship with the practice to understand how your body and mind and spirit respond and relate to receiving sounds and the more experiences of sounds you have and the more you use yourself as a great experimenter the, the, the better you will be able to hold that space for other people. And so it is not, you know, over the years when I've, I've been doing trainings, I think it's, it's been like seven years now. Um, and only initially it was, it was asked of me <laughs> to, to, to lead trainings. I've, I've studied with several different teachers. Nobody taught me how to facilitate a sound bath. I come from 20 plus years of teaching meditation and a, a life of being a musician. And so for me, it was a slow integration of those two things. And, you know, sound healing, instruments for sound healing are are easy to play. It's, it's by design, you know. Um, so learning how to play an instrument that that just requires practice on the part of the of the practitioner. Um, but what I what I teach in my trainings is much more about facilitation um, and holding space for people coming in with uh, different types of concerns and and goals uh, with sound. 
Right. Because, um, I mean, and that takes it to the therapeutic use of sound, right? Mm -hmm. There's a difference between learning to, to play the instruments, which is important, those foundational skills and really, um, you know, understanding tone and uh, that you can play instruments too loud and reactions that people might have to that. But um, to have that heart for holding space and connecting with people and um, that that certainly could be a part that's missing in, in trainings, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, the when we understand, thank you, Dr. Mitch Gaynor, uh, you know, and we understand that, uh, or Hazrat and Khan, or who, however you want to trace this theory back, however far you want to trace it back, sounds and vibration affect us on all levels, emotionally, physiologically, psychologically, spiritually, while well, knowing that, that's a huge responsibility as a sound practitioner. You know, when, when somebody is walking into a space to experience a sound bath, a sound meditation, you don't know why, if you have a large group, you don't know why they're there um, or what's going on in, in their life. And as you know, as a facilitator, a, a lot of different types of things can come up, you know, and so if you're not um, equipped uh, or sensitive to to navigate those things, you know, people can have really terrible and sometimes even traumatic experiences in in sound baths if the you know the 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 practitioner is not sensitive to understanding you know that concept yeah in your book what was it uh 2019 you wrote sound bath was that part of your mission of of getting a book out there so just people could kind of access you know, well, I mean, there really isn't necessarily a how-to guide uh, that I know about prior to yours uh, for facilitating sound baths and all the different aspects. What was a, a book takes a major effort to put together? What was kind of your your mission there? Yeah, I think exactly what you said for creating something that I wish existed when I was entering into this exploration. I, I and I have a recommended reading list for for my trainees and my students that's about 10 pages long because you know I'll, I'll read things you know psychology and polyvagal theory and you know all these different things inform my work uh, but you know how can I simplify this and and pull from all those great teachers that came before to say you know here's really the arc of what this is and what what this could be and here's my personal experience because that's another thing that i think many people who are new or just hearing about sound baths and sound healing right now is that the experience that you'll have is so specific on the practitioner that i felt it was really important for me to just share my personal experience my personal perspective um not to say that this is the way this is a way <laughs> and you know this is a way that might be uh accessible to a broader audience that was that was the goal with the book to have accessible step-by-step -step practices to give some personal story to give some reflections on on 
community members, pe personal experiences that people have had in sound baths. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, are you working on another book? <laughs> I'm just curious. Is that kind of in your awareness? For some reason, I have a feeling maybe you are. <laughs> have you been talking to my husband? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, I, I am. Because, you know, as you mentioned, that book was five years ago. Um, and I now <laughs> I'm thinking there is a, you know, a different, a different need uh, with the growing popularity of, of sound baths and sound experiences. Um, so yeah, but with this one, uh, I might take take a little bit more time. Uh, there definitely there was uh, a little bit of urgency <laughs> with that with that book, um, and yeah, yeah, coming soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what is um, currently going on? What are you most excited about that's kind of coming forth right now? And uh, what do you what's what's coming up in your schedule this year that maybe is a little bit different but what's what are you really curious about and what are you really excited about that you're maybe about to offer uh this year i am really curious about working more across industries and disciplines um I am working uh, in, in conversation with some people from digital storytelling uh, at Columbia University um, and immersive experiences, uh, which we know are in a, in a very surface way popping up all over, you know, the Van Gogh thing, like that, those kinds of immersive experiences um, and, and seeking more ways to utilize the opportunities that that lie in in those immersive experiences, ways for people to connect with each other and connect inward. Uh, so I'm really interested in in those kinds of collaborations and partnerships, and you know, working more uh, with the healthcare industry as well. Um, I just did. Um, a, a partnership with a pharmaceutical company who has an intravenous uh, quarterly treatment for people living with migraine. And yeah, I, I had to have my sound bath approved by the FDA. So there you go. <laughs> so like things to think about, like in that in that regard, you know, how can we as as practitioners, how can you and I as sound practitioners start to work across in industries, you know, and then and then also work together um, to to support each other in our work as well. Um, and I also have wait, this is the first time I ever said it out loud in public to a public audience, but here we go. Um, I have an app launching soon. And so <laughs> you might say, who needs another app? <laughs> 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 but um, you know, it, it just it goes along with my my mission of accessibility and helping people to have uh, sound experiences in their pocket at the ready whenever they need them on 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 the train on a plane, 
um, before bed and, and all those things. So I've been, I've been working away at that for a while and it is finally coming soon, um, by summertime. So, yeah. Very exciting. Oh, that's so cool. I'm sure it's a massive amount of work, but yeah. <laughs> more, more than I thought. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. I think really what you've, you've shared with us is how limitless, this field is. I mean, there's just so many possibilities of, of who you can be working with um, and how important accessibility and communication is across these industries. I wonder just kind of as final words of wisdom for those listening, if, if someone wants to go after, you know, kind of get out of their comfort zone, maybe they've been working in yoga studios for years, but they really want to um, offer a sound bath at a nursing home or a hospital or approach the public schools. How should we go after it? How can you get your foot in the door? What's kind of your, your prompting for us to just go for it? <laughs> well, you took the words right out of my mouth, but just go for it. I mean, that, that, that's how I've, I've gotten anywhere, you know, is to say, like I mentioned earlier, I, I've had this strong desire to take sound bath experiences into non-traditional spaces. And I reached out and emailed, uh, you know, it's funny to say this now, I'm like, hotels, um, which now ho hotels everywhere have sound baths, but they didn't at the time because any space that I could think of that could, you know, contain or host an experience or any community. I, I volunteered um, weekly at Harlem Hospital for an outpatient uh, program. Just any anywhere that you think your, your work um, might be complimentary or needed, like just reach out and then know that some people are going to say no, and some people aren't ever going to answer you. <laughs> but I think I look at it in my work, you know, and, and, and now that I've been doing that for a lot of years, I definitely have inbound things. Um, but, but still, even I'm not just laying back waiting for people to call me, you know, when I have an idea or somebody I, I want to partner with, you know, go after it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I always tell people, you know, it's, especially when you first are getting started, it's a lot of boots on the ground work just in your community and um, volunteering can be actually a really good benefit to you. You know, what, what's the community that you just really want to help. And I feel if you do give, if you do volunteer, you just get that back tenfold and other opportunities that, you know, are, you know, for profit, for example, um, so yeah, just to find your special uh, way that you want to help and, uh, yeah. And then, yes, you do have to, uh, just kind of ask less after you've been doing this for a while, but to not stop, um, contacting people and reaching out and, and spreading the word. It's a continuous yeah. process. Yeah. And balancing, like you said, with Seva, with service you know, be, being in service, you must always do that, you know, <laughs> uh, because that's what balances the integrity, um, the, the truth of, of the work is, is being in service. So, um, 
yeah, not just seeking out a big corporate <laughs> paycheck, but being in service to your community as well and finding that balance. Yeah, yeah, beautifully said, yeah. Well, thank you, Sarah. It's been really wonderful to connect with you and just to learn more about you. Um, I'll be seeing you in person, actually, later this year. We're both going to be at the ISTA International Sound Therapy Association Conference in Sarasota, Florida in September. So um, I'll spread the word about that as well. And just great to get to know you better. Thank you so much. Yeah, you too. Thanks for inviting me. It's a great conversation. Great. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning into this five-year anniversary episode of Sounds Heal Podcast, sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. You can keep up to date with what's coming up next at soundshealstudio.com. You can follow and, and check out things at Facebook, Sounds Heal Studio, Instagram at Natalie Brown, Sounds Heal, on YouTube, on the Sounds Heal Studio channel. And thanks again for supporting this podcast. Be well and stay tuned.